Hi there and welcome to Inside Rugby League, the podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Richard Byram and joining me again on the line this week is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter's the Yorkshire Evening Post Chief Rugby League Writer. And it's fair to say it was a pretty dire set of results for our teams on Sunday, Peter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, abject. Um, yeah. All, uh, all our West Yorkshire teams, Leeds, uh, Castleford and Wakey, all lost and to, uh, and to the misery. Um, all in the Hulk Army, the two Yorkshire teams in action, lost. The only team from the White Rose County to come out of it with any credit were Huddersfield, and that's probably because they weren't playing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've had... Um, We've had better weekends, and really none none of them performed particularly well. I suppose the pick were um, the exception were Wakefield, who gave Wigan a good game and, and staged a terrific fight back from um, 22-6, I think it was, behind, um, only lost 23-22. Um, bit similar to Leeds against Huddersfield the week before, but Wakefield were second best for most of... Um, most of that game, I thought, as coach Chris Chester said afterwards, they let themselves down with the first half performance, um, poor ball control, and, and let Wigan get too far in front, really. But certainly the way they fought back um, showed what they're capable of. They had a couple of new signings in there. Liam Kay scored um, a couple of tries on his debut, or his second debut as a, a former Wakefield player. Um, scored a hat-trick on his final appearance for the club and two on his, his first game back, although they were both walk-ins, but um, you have to be in the right place at the right time. And I thought Tony Gijo, the um, former Catalans player, uh, showed some good signs for Wakefield. I think when he settles in, he's going to be a, a handy addition for them. Um, but from Wakefield's point of view, my, um, my highlight of the weekend was uh, Tom Johnson's score. <laughs> yes. Trying the corner. Just, he's the best finisher in, in Super League, in my opinion. And he scores impossible tries, and, and this one was another one from a, a Gio kick. Just absolutely world class. I'm, um, I'm a big fan of Tom Johnson, and um, he's one of the, the most exciting players to watch in Super League. And, and for me, that was the um, highlight of the weekend, his try. Yeah, certainly. Um, an amazing finish again. We've spoken about Tom a few times on here and how on earth he gets the ball down. <laughs> again, it just seemed absolutely impossible, but he, he managed to get it down before he went out of play. Um, Say, so from a, a Wakefield fan's point of view, another superb moment, and, and as you rightly say, probably the highlight of the whole weekend, particularly for the White Rose teams. Uh, who didn't really turn him. I mean, Mike Cooper was busted straight away with Salford thrashing Hull. And then uh, Castleford opened up a lead, didn't they, against Catalans and then seemed to put the queue on the rack and uh, conceded, was it 40 points without reply? So that, that was another turn-up. Uh, Catalan found a new lease of life after their dreadful showing against Leeds. And then, as you say, Wakefield uh, just left themselves a bit too much to do. It was a poor first half performance by them. Um, but once they started playing the show, you know, they scored some good tries and showed, really, that Wigan weren't to be as feared as they perhaps thought in the first half. As you say, Liam Kay got a couple of very simple tries. And, you know, at the end there, the two drop goals, I think Chris Chester mentioned uh, the lad from Wigan wasn't pressurised for his attempt and got it over and... Uh, Jacob Miller 
was and put it just wide and so the chance of even getting to golden point was gone but I mean it showed that Wakefield are capable of competing with those teams as we suggested last week and Wigan in particular they seem to have a bit of a, a thing where they can play well against them um, so hopefully you know first week back uh, they can dust themselves down and go again and uh, perhaps well the biggest disappointment uh, no doubt for yourself and for me was the, the performance by Leeds against St Helens so a dreadful 80 minutes we said last week didn't we that if they played like they did in the first hour or so against Huddersfield they'd get trounced and that's pretty much what happened uh, but this time I know they had a few injuries and I'm sure you'll talk in greater detail about it in a moment Peter because you were at the game and, and saw it all and obviously the injuries didn't help, but even so, those last few tries for Leeds are the team we were already back in the dressing room, in my opinion. Yeah, the, I thought that was one of the the most disappointing aspects of a really disappointing afternoon for Leeds, the way they conceded the last three late on. Um, they steadied the ship in the, the third quarter, but um, seemed to... Um, run up a white flag really right at the end of the game not something that Richard Agar mentioned afterwards um, he described it as a disappointing performance but it, it wasn't a performance at all was it they just no. never got going they were outplayed in every department never looked like scoring right from early on it, it looked like they were they were going to get nil first time at home since 1992 against York Wakefield yeah. um, 17-0 victory for, for Trinity at, at Headingley. Nobody's managed that since. And but St Helens were just were playing a different brand of rugby. Really, they were faster, smarter, bigger, stronger, superior in every department. And the the big men monster leads his pack. It's like Wormsley having a, a fantastic game. Yeah. brilliant at fullback. Um, Regan Grace is try scoring, outstanding. Um, at least just has no answer at all, which is very disappointing. And having seen the team sheet, I, I never really thought Leeds were going to win the game, but I expected them to be a lot more competitive than they were, and that's the disappointment, the fact that they just didn't compete. Um, it shows how things can change. I think Leeds would have fancied the chances against St Helens, who were the team they were due to face the weekend. Lockdown began. Saints were in not great shape, at the time, adjusting to a new coach, and they were, I think we're probably still feeling the effects of a, a um, an exhausting and sapping World Club Challenge game against Sydney Roosters. But they've obviously put the time in lockdown to good use, and they look back to the best. I think it's going to take a very good team to stop them winning the grand final this year. I know it's early days; we're four months away from from that, but. If they played like that against every, um, any other team in the competition, I think they would have won. Perhaps not by that margin, but it, it, it's difficult to see anyone stopping them when they're in that vein of, of form, which isn't great for Wakefield, who play them this week. Not only do they play them, they play them at, um, at St Helens. Yeah. It's, it's a new for a venue, effectively. It's behind closed doors. I don't think playing them there is going to make too much difference, but certainly they're, they're going to go into it with their um, with their tiles up. But Wakey have nothing to 
nothing to lose. I think they can just go there and um, and give it their best shot and, and see what happens. Um, obviously, we talked about Leeds. I thought Castleford were very disappointing as well against Catalans, 14-0 up. And for that first 15 minutes when they brought that lead, they looked a, a good side and they looked to me like a team who were capable of going all the way to a final this year, but then um, collapsed in a big heap and, and Israel Falau taught them a lesson. He had a superb game for Catalans. Um, a lot of things went wrong for Castleford. They didn't react well when, when things went against them. They had a player, Simbin, out here. They were already without a few key players, which didn't help through injury. And the way they fell away was, was quite alarming, but Castleford have tended to react quite well when they, they have defeats of that nature under Darrell Powell, and I expect, expect them to do that this weekend against Hull, which, of course, is interesting because it's the team they play next weekend in the Challenge Cup. Yeah. So whether either coach will be holding anything back or um, or keeping his powder dry. This has happened before. they played back-to-back games, League and, and Challenge Cup. Um, it will be interesting um, interesting to see. I think with the short nature of Super League, teams can't afford to drop points at this stage. So both teams will want to get a win from that. But I think both teams will also fancy the chances of of getting to the Challenge Cup final, so it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. Um, just speaking of, of the Challenge Cup, actually, I'd, I've been seeing in, from various people this suggestion um, about the Catalan Wakefield game in the Challenge Cup next week. They've still obviously got to meet in, in Super League. It's an extra game for those sides because they didn't get a bye into the quarterfinals in the Challenge Cup. And I think various people have um, suggested, apologies to, to whoever originated the idea, I'm not sure where it, it came from, but I've seen it mentioned by various people, that perhaps they should play a, a special all-in-one encounter in the um, in the Challenge Cup, make it a Challenge Cup and league fixture. So there'll be two points at stake as a league game and a place in the, the quarterfinals of the Challenge Cup. I think that's quite an interesting suggestion. Actually, this is obviously exceptional times for the sport and and the code's done things that it wouldn't normally do in in a in um, everyday course of a season. Things like changing the rules midway through, dropping scrums, bringing new six-game law in. It's different with, with games being played behind closed doors and all that sort of stuff. So um, I just wonder whether that's something worth thinking about. It's obviously not going to happen at this stage. I think they'd have made an announcement by now if it was a runner, but um, it's an interesting idea. It is, yes. Yeah, um, I think it's, as you say, with pressures on squads and the number of games that have to be played in the period of time, you know, it may be a way, you know, a winner-takes-all type of thing, uh, which would be, you know, a way of getting rid of two games at once, for want of a better expression. I suppose the only doubt about it would be, no, maybe not. I was going to say about the integrity of the competition. You know, we, we've talked about that a few times that, you know, like the previous game you mentioned with Cass and Hull KR, the fact that they've got a league game one week and the cup game the next week, you know, which would be the game that they might want to put, you know, all their resources into. Obviously, the league for most, well, the top end teams is the most important thing you'd imagine 
but then there's that thing in the back of the mind about well we might win at Wembley this year so you know be interesting which teams actually play full strength or which may choose to blood a couple of youngsters I know again we mentioned a few weeks ago about the draw and Wakefield at that time had Featherston in there and it was <laughs> rather typical that Wakey ended up having to play the extra game um, I think Michael Carter made a joke about it on uh, Twitter which backfired um, but uh, anyway yeah it'd be, be interesting to see that and uh, I've said many times I want Wakefield to win the Challenge Cup and so I'd hope that maybe they'll concentrate on that and, and get through uh, again it depends which Catalans team turn up again as we saw last week and with their big victory uh, against Cass having been so dreadful against Leeds the week before so but teams are obviously finding the feet putting in a good show and a bad show and so on. So we just have to, I, th I think in a few weeks the competition will settle down. But the other thing that you know, struck me about Leeds, obviously, again, it's only early days, but they were the league leaders when they took on Saints, weren't they? Or they're just being knocked off by Wigan, but going into the weekend, they were certainly leading the league. And yet, you know, as you say, from the bits I saw over the weekend, I didn't see every minute of every game, but I saw some of the highlights and I saw all of the Wakey and Leeds games. You know, Saints obviously, again, look to be operating at a different level this season to the rest. And just going on to this weekend's uh, fixtures, Peter, as you say, my team Wakey have got that trip to Saints on Sunday and I think, you know... You, you never know what they're capable of, but I think you'd probably have to fancy Saints there and hope that Wakefield put up an honourable performance. Uh, Leeds against Wigan. Again, it depends which team turns up in both those regards. You know, again, Leeds need to certainly improve on last week. But Wigan didn't look any great shakes once Wakefield got at them. And Hull and Castleford, I mean, that was a, a really shock to me that Hull didn't seem to have learnt much at all during lockdown. They had a dreadful display against uh, Warrington, which cost Lee Radford his job just before the uh, lockdown. And first game back, and new coach in charge, and lost by a 40 odd point margin. So Hull have obviously got a lot of work to do as well. Huddersfield and Warrington as well, that, that could be an intriguing game there at the start of the weekend. Uh, Huddersfield obviously smarting after throwing it away against Leeds and Warrington, the old favourite. Is it this year, this year, their year? So some, some interesting games again and Salford and Catalans again. Salford had a superb win there against Hull and completely unexpected and Catalans beat Cass. So I think some interesting games coming up this week and a lot harder to call than... Well, I, think, I don't think I called any of them right last week, so... Uh, we'll, yeah, take, we'll take well, it from there. If you look at it, I'd be confident in predicting um, the result of... Let's have a look. This weekend, I'd be confident of getting one of the five games <laughs> spot on, which is St Helens against Wakefield. I'd, I'd expect, as you said, I think I hope Wakey go and, and give a really good account of themselves, but it's hard to see them beating no, Saints. But the others for the Sfield and Morrington... Who, who knows in that one? Probably Warrington, but Huddersfield have, have had a, a decent start to the season and played some really good stuff at times. Salford and Catalans, <laughs> Salford terrific against all um, Catalans, very good against Castleford, so tough ones to call. Wigan Leeds, like you say, 
which of those two teams is going to turn up. I'm, I'm certainly a lot less confident about Leeds' chances this week than I would have been um, this time last week. And I think a lot of it will depend on whether they can get some players back. But they are capable of beating Wigan if they get the game together. And there were signs of frailty from Wigan last week. Um, and Holland Castleford, that's an, another toss of the coin. I think Castleford, yeah. I think Castleford will win that, but um, they're certainly going to have to improve from their performance um, over the, the final hour against Catalans. And Hull, you wouldn't think Hull could play as badly as that again, but having said that, they played as badly against Salford as they did five months earlier against um, against Warrington. So. Who knows with that one? I just, I just hope we get some close games because we haven't had any of those yet this season. You're going to say, well, yeah, we have. We've had two one-point margins. Sorry, I said this season. I meant since since COVID. Yes. Um, we have had two one-point margins, but I don't think either of those games was particularly close in a way because both times one of the teams was a long way in front and had dominated for for the best part of an hour, and then. For whatever reason, whether they, they ran out of steam or penalties went against them or some indiscipline crept in or they took the foot off the gas, they lost their momentum and the other team gained it. And, and then it was one-way traffic the other way. So um, we've not seen a sort of game that's been evenly fought from, from first minute to 80th yeah. yet. And I would hope that we get some of those games this weekend because that's really what, what you want. Nobody wants, particularly, unless it's your team, of course, wants one-sided encounters we could we could do with some um, some closer thought games having said that it, it certainly looks like um, the TV viewers are enjoying the um, the fair that we've seen so far yes. since uh, lockdown ended I've seen um, some figures from um, the from Super League which which are on our website at the moment which say that viewing figures um, on Sky are, are a long way up, which is uh, really encouraging for the sport. It seems like rugby league's attracting some new or perhaps returned viewers, and, and let's just hope that they um, they stick with the game with the, with a Sky contract coming up for renewal in the near future. It's um, I think it's a good time for the sport to be attracting encouraging figures. Yeah, definitely. I, I saw an article the previous week and uh, suggesting that the viewing figures, I think it was your uh, friend Phil Kaplan put a tweet out, Peter, saying that uh, the first round of viewing figures had been the best ever for Sky and, and the general figures were showing an upward trend and that continued this weekend as well. And as you say, that can only be good for the sport and at a time when they are looking to attract as many new fans as possible and obviously get an improved TV deal. Let's hope hope it keeps going that way. I'm assuming that some of it is, of course, because nobody can go to the game, so everybody is, who can is watching their team at home, and that that takes some of the edge off, but it still doesn't, you know, the, te- the trend is upward and the figures speak for themselves and are the best ever, apparently. So, you know, that's great news. Uh, I think most football games only get around, I say only, but early you know 1.2 million is i think is an average crowd and then the really big blockbusters get more so in terms of well of you'd imagine most people probably staying at home and watching games as well rather than going to the pub 
so that that will be helping too. But it, you know, it's all good news, and it, it shows that people do want to watch the game, and obviously have missed it while it's been away. And overall, you know, they've seen some good entertainment. But as you say, now the, the next thing really in the next few weeks as the teams settle down is is to have some some closer games. You know, some arm wrestles if if needs be. You know, rather than. Uh, blowouts or one team running away and then running out of gas and the other team catching back up uh, which again is thrilling in itself but uh, you know it'd be good to see uh, some some good close rugby games coming up and just going back to last weekend Peter and I know we spoke about this a lot last week so we won't go on for long but it would be wrong of us not to talk about the fact that uh, regarding taking the knee this week, the entire Wakefield team decided that they would stand uh, during that few moments before the game, which uh, didn't attracted some publicity, but certainly not the publicity that Mr. Falau attracted upon his, uh, on his own the week before. And it, again, to mention that he stood again, didn't he? And uh, one of his teammates stood with him. And I think now that from Israel's point of view, it, it, it does seem that the, his reason for standing from what's being said is that it's his belief in God and the fact that he will only kneel before God. Um, but uh, with Wakefield, it seemed to be more along the lines of what you were discussing yourself last week, where they're not too keen on Black Lives Matters with capital B, L and M. Uh, as a, as a political movement, but they do support the notion that Black Lives Matter, lowercase, uh, and, and obviously against uh, discrimination and racism. And Chris Chester, their coach, gave a fairly full explanation to yourselves after the game, didn't he, saying that uh, they were in support, or obviously against discrimination and so forth, but uh, didn't feel that they could take the knee, so they stood you know, in silence, sort of linked together, to show their solidarity with the BLM in, in lowercase letters cars. I think that's exa- I think that's exactly why why they've done it. Yeah, they're, they're concerned about um, BLM as a movement, um, but want to support the um, the struggle against racism and, and the fight for equality. Yeah, it's a, a tricky issue. It's it. It, it sort of it has attracted, and I'm I'm not going to mention any any particular messages which are on social media, but it's it's attracted varying schools of thought on social media. And I think some people have, have taken a, an opposite view of of what Wakefield's stance meant to what it actually did mean. Yes, um, I. I said last week, my, my view is there's, there's no reason not to, to kneel before a game. And and I st- stand by that. Um, I said that before I knew what Wakefield were going to do. And I still still think that people, um, if this is what the sport is doing or players are doing as a collective to show their opposition to racism... Um, I think that everybody should do it, but it's it's an individual choice. Wakefield are obviously taking it seriously. They've obviously discussed it and, and come up with their own way of dealing with it, and um, and that's in, entirely their right. You can't it totally defeats the object if you make people support a cause. They have to do what they think 
is right. Um, I certainly don't think Wakefield are saying they don't care about about racism. We're not. We don't believe that Black Lives Matters are. They're not saying that at all. Um, they're they're just making their their um, their voice known or their opinions known in a different way to to other clubs. Yes. Um, but this is it's going to be interesting to see what happens this weekend. I think there were three Catalans players stood at the weekend rather than just two. Um, I was was actually I wasn't at Saturday's games, but I've seen it reported that that two Catalans stuff but it looked to me to be at least three so it'll be interesting to see if more of more of them start to stand up I hope not but um, time will tell I, I do think rugby league needs to be sending out a collective strong message against racism though people people are saying well keep politics out of sport we discussed all this last week um, yes. the fight against racism isn't politics as such as it is it's civil rights it's human rights and you can't separate sport from from the real world anyway i think i think sportsmen and women have a higher profile and that that makes that amplifies their voice and i think it means they have to take a stance sometimes and, and I'm, I'm proud of the rugby league players who are doing from whatever club and, and whatever way they um they voice that um Good on them if they're if they're going to to stand up or if, if you pardon the the, the phrase uh, take a stance against racism. I think that that can only be a good thing. Um, we don't want any discrimination in rugby league. It's not a sport that's known for discrimination. Quite the opposite. It's known as an all-inclusive sport, and that's exactly how it should be. Um, I'm sure Wakefield are, are an inclusive club. I don't think there's any doubts about that. As I say, personally, I don't think they did the right thing, but obviously I wasn't party to the discussions in their camp before the game, and, and I respect their respect their views and, and opinions, and you know, credit to, to the club for coming out with a, a strong statement before the game, which said that they... Are, um, they are united as an organisation against racism and, and in favour of equality and it's, you can't argue with that, can you? No, not at all and I think that was the important thing that uh, Wakefield did explain and in good, good and great detail as you say, they'd obviously chatted behind the scenes during the week uh, led by the captain Jacob Miller and involved the coach and Michael Carter, the chief executive in what they were talking about and what they were thinking of doing. And then when they did it, Wakefield put out a statement at the same time explaining what was going on. Uh, you know, that probably took some of the sting or some of the publicity out of the situation. Um, and and at least, although they didn't take the knee, they all did the same thing, if that makes sense. You know, they all they said, right, well, we won't take the knee, but not three of us taking the knee and six of us stood up and three of us with our backs to uh, the opposition or whatever. They all stood in a line, uh, didn't move, you know, didn't move or, or whatever. And, and I think David Fafita and one of the Wigan players, did uh, they hold an Aboriginal banner as well? Um, yeah. And to make a point there as well. And so, you know, 
excuse me i'm sure that this each week there'll be probably different variations on a theme by different clubs as you know wakefield may decide this week having spoken about it again and taken further advice from the rfl that yes okay we understand now and we'll kneel down i know again for sport we mentioned before f1 formula one they're not all kneeling down other despite lewis hamilton's pleas and uh, as we've stressed many times on here it's an individual's choice uh, or a, a collective choice to do what they think is the right thing and, and they're free to do that it's interesting the point about wanting to know more about black lives matters it you know it'd be it would be good if someone from that movement spoke to them i don't know if the club have um have tried to do anything about that or if if black lives matters um would, would do something like that but you know it'd be interesting to see what their opinion was after after that happened but that you made a really good point there the, the fact that they did stand in a line um interlocking arms showed that they were they were making or taking a stance i think it would have been wrong if they just just taken the positions for for kick off and and stood that way they, yeah. they showed that they were they were taking part in the the protest if if you like i'm not sure that's the right word but but it'll do um they were taking part in in the protest but just in a different um in a different form um i hope that that players continue to support um to support the movement that's that's my basic um basic bottom line on it though that the sport has to has to stand against racism and, and prove it's an inclusive sport and, and I hope it continues um, to do that and and if necessary against all other forms of discrimination, homophobia or whatever, um, I think everyone should be allowed and encouraged to play rugby league or watch rugby league or support rugby league, whatever um, their religion or um, core skin or, or anything like that is let's continue to be an inclusive sport. Yes, I would agree with all of that, Peter. And just to wrap it up from my point of view, Reese Lynn, the Wakefield player, also went on Twitter and, and explained the club's stance, and I think that helped take some of this thing out of it too. I know Reese has done a lot of good work off the field, uh, helping people less fortunate than himself, for, for want of a better phrase. And, you know, he, he's been a presence off the field and a good ambassador for Wakefield in other ways as well as through his rugby league and you know he made it quite clear that all the squad uh, were united behind this decision and that they all shared similar views against discrimination and racism and again I think that probably obviously Reese himself a person of colour so I think that again helped take some of the, the sting out of it you know once people saw that Reese had you know, it was like a spokesman for the group almost. I think that, you know, I think if people have things explained to them, they're a lot less likely uh, to start shouting their mouths off. And uh, I think Wakefield handled a, a tricky situation very well. Just finally this week then, Peter, more probably bad news regarding Toronto Wolfpack. Um, Gareth O'Brien signed for Castleford until the end of the season. And I see a couple of their players have gone back to Australia. And uh, I think Darcy Lussich was very vocal on Twitter yesterday and Gareth today regarding the situation of, of unpaid wages and 
the general mess that Toronto's in. And again, sad and bad publicity for the sport. And you know, let's hope that something can be done quickly uh, to sort that situation out and get people paid the money that they're owed and uh, get Toronto back on an even keel. Yeah, um, absolutely. I've spoken to a, a Toronto player who um, used to play for, for one of our clubs just uh, a few minutes ago. Yeah. Actually, you can um, have a look at Thursday's Evening Post or online, you'll see who that is and his views on things, but um, he's, he's all right, actually, this particular player. He's in a decent situation, but he says it's terrible for for people with two or three kids and, and a big mortgage, um, haven't been paid for several months, and and are, are worried about their future. Yeah. Um, it's, just a, it's just a terrible situation. It's very sad. I'm sad that Toronto has gone this way. I, I think... I'm an expansionist. I think we should be looking to expand the sports borders, but it's it's a shame that it's not worked out for them. And I really feel for for the staff and the players who have um, found themselves through no fault of their own in this situation. Also, the fans in Canada have been getting sort of eight or nine thousand fans to games, and and these are people who might not have a, a team to watch next year. So I feel for them as well, and I just hope. Um, there can be a positive resolution to this. Maybe a new owner come in, can come in and, and revive the fortunes of the club and, and start um, treating the, the players and coaches properly, paying their wages. Um, I think it'd be a, a sad thing if Toronto were to um, were to collapse completely. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, I think Gareth O'Brien's a very good signing for for Castleford. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at least he's got got himself sorted out. I, I don't know Gareth O'Brien. I've seen him obviously play numerous times, and he's kicked some memorable drop goals in his career. He has actually had a, a previous spell on loan at Castleford a few years ago, just a couple of games. Um, so he knows the club, and I think he'll he'll add to their squad, and that's a, a good bit of work done by um, by Castleford. But I hope the players who are, who are currently without income, can find something pretty soon. Yes, certainly. I mean, I think it's a dreadful situation that they find themselves in, as you say, of no making of their own. And obviously, they've been lured over there with the promise of good money and a good life. And as you say, uh, it's easy to forget that the crowds at Toronto do pull in. Uh, you know, for a start-up club and an alien sport in a, in a, a country thousands of miles from its natural homeland... Uh, you know, I think as we said the other week, everything had really gone to plan until COVID and obviously through a huge spanner in the works, uh, which has messed with the club's finances and, and the team and its very existence. Um, you know, and it's and it's just a real shame all round. And again, you know, as we've said, it, a strong Toronto would have made again another good bargaining chip for a better TV contract. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, let's let, let's hope that either the club's saved or somebody else can come in and and pay the players and the staff what they're due and, and get the show back on the road. Okay, then Peter. Well, I think that's about it for this week. I think we've covered most of the the relevant topics, so we'll leave it there. Just with my usual weekly reminder that you can get the very latest rugby league news and views from Peter at, at his Twitter feed at Peter Smith. 
uh, YEP. And you can look from mine at Richard Byron YEP or the YEP Sports Desk at YEP Sports Desk. And also our website, yorkshireeveningpost.co.uk, for the very latest rugby league and sports news, and also the latest on the coronavirus and any other breaking news as it happens. So all that's left really for me to say is thank you to Peter uh, for his comments and insight as usual and hopefully we'll be back again soon.